Welcome to Everyday Therapist. I'm Rich from the UK. And I'm Cody from the United States. Before we jump in, we just want to say that this podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice. So how, I mean, how was your weekend? Yeah, good. Well, it's been a, it's been a busy one. It's the, it's the Christmas prep. It's the big weekend before the, the last weekend before Christmas. So, um, to be honest with you, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the, uh, that Christmas build up tension a little bit. I also feel kind of stupid that I've let it get on top of me, you know, like I should know better. But, um, okay. yeah, sorry to be a downer, but that's, <laughs> that's, no, that's, I'm just being that's the reality of it. I think a lot of people feel that pressure and, uh, I don't think a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, recognize that it's there. They just, it just feels different. It's just heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, where, yesterday morning, obviously it was Saturday and I got up and obviously I wasn't working and I felt quite perky and, um, you know, I was kind of up for getting ready for Christmas. It's like, right, this is the chance to get everything sorted. And we have been doing some preparations, but it's like, yeah, this is the time. And I had a bit of energy and we did get a reasonable amount of stuff done. Um, and then of course it seems the more that you get prepared and the more jobs that you tick off the list, the more start coming into play. And then yeah. I got up this morning and I thought, oh, just not feeling it it's like the second day of, of preparation and i just yeah feel a little bit wiped out so anyway it's good to do this and have a break and yeah how was your weekend i guess you're still in the middle of it even though i'm at the end yeah yeah i mean sunday for me just started uh but it's been pretty good i think it's been actually really really busy um i i spent part of my day yesterday trying to troubleshoot this this podcast recording because as you and i have talked about we've had some technical issues and i don't have them solved yet so i'm interested to see how this one plays out um but we had that and then um i had to help my daughter with some homework for the weekend she had a dance performance that we went to and then we had family over last night for dinner and, and hanging out um sharing christmas gifts and things like that so it's it that was just that was just yesterday uh so that was it was all packed into a day and it's been pretty busy and now it's this morning, Sunday morning. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to this podcast, but it's it's been kind of it's kind of been kind of uh, nonstop since the weekend started. Yeah, and you've you've had this this underlying uh, technical issues to sort out the whole the whole time. So just for our listeners, we're, we're thinking of actually uh, putting our faces on video and and launching this podcast maybe onto YouTube or maybe onto Substack or something like that. And yeah. we thought that might be easy, but it's causing, well, it's actually causing you all sorts of technical issues, isn't it? Yeah, it's weird because we have this recording platform that we're using this on now and like my individual audio and video will sync up together and your individual audio and video will sync up together. But when I mesh them, they're not aligned. And so we're talking over each other or there's weird pauses where nobody's talking and the conversation isn't flowing. One person is about 14 seconds ahead of the other person. Yeah. And I just can't figure out how to fix it. You tried to look into it. I've tried to look into it. I had my son, like maybe it's an old, old man thing where I'm just like, <laughs> this technology is passing me by. He's yeah. in high school. Like he tried to play around with it for an hour or so. He couldn't, um, I, I, I don't know what else to do. So I've written, um, I've reached out to the platform that we use. It is, you know, the weekend. And so that's, I haven't heard anything back, but yeah. here we are giving it a go and We'll see what happens. Yeah, and we have a, a guest coming on today, which is going to add another technical string to your uh, your 
um, proficiency. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. Yeah, in all in all honesty, I'm a little worried. I've been playing around with it so much that I think that the podcast is going to be okay. So hopefully, if, if anybody's listening to this, that means it turned out okay because I I published it. But um, yeah, I haven't tried it with three people yet, and uh, and and we'll see what happens. So I'm I'm nervous that we might do this wonderful, wonderful uh, interview and get to know this this Jeff guy uh, quite a bit, which we'll talk about here in a second. But and and the whole thing we just have to scrap because it doesn't work. Yeah. So yeah, as you mentioned, we've got Jeff coming on. Um, we don't know much about Jeff, do we? I, I've I've nicknamed him Football Jeff. And that's as far as I've got. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we we don't know much about Jeff, and I'm actually really excited to get to know him. Uh, I came across Jeff um, on Twitter. I'm I have a, a Twitter account that I'm semi-active on, um, and he he is quite active on it. But he does a lot of um, things to do with our local sports, one of our local sports uh, football teams here in, in the Valley. And he posts videos or things about the team or news or clips or different players are signing, just any information that fans want to know, he posts all about it and um, has created quite quite the following and quite the interest for um, for the football team. And, and he's grown quite, the, quite the, the Twitter page that way. And so that's how I... That's literally all that I know about him. Yeah. Um, it's not the team that I follow, so I don't necessarily know too much more, but he's he's definitely out there, so I know of him. Do you want to explain, actually, Cody, to the people listening into the UK, this concept of college sports? Because it wasn't something I was familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, the the way that it works is all of our colleges or all of our universities um, have sports teams affiliated with with them and that can be for football or basketball or uh so the first one is american football um or, or soccer what we call it here um so any of those three sports or even gymnastics or swimming or golf or literally every sport that's out there they've even started you know esports for for video gamers and stuff and what they'll do is they will they will monitor, they'll have um, scouts that work for the colleges or the universities, and they will go through and watch high school sports athletes. And they'll go to their games and get to know the, the, you know, the high school coaches and see practices and, and keep an eye on the kids' grades. And they kind of really monitor these kids while they're in high school. And all these kids go through high school playing sports with the intention of um, getting to go play for, for college. And yeah. so... The colleges will basically recruit them to come play and they'll give them a scholarship, which means, you know, if you come play at our university, uh, then we will pay for your, pay for your schooling uh, okay. while you, while you play for us. And it's, it's big business. It's, it's massive. Um, college football is, is on the, on the higher end of it. It's, it's definitely the most popular college sport that there is, mm-hmm. uh, probably followed by college basketball. And so every team has fans right of whatever college they went to or wherever they grew up and jeff who's coming on happens to live in utah yeah well i assume he lives in utah he covers uh brigham young university and he covers their their football team so he's a sports writer for them and he he gets all of the information out to all the fans of that college i had a little look on google maps to see where this uh i forgot the name byu university what does that stand for um 
Yeah, Brigham, Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University, and I had a look where it was in relation to where you reside, and it's over the other side of Utah Lake. Is that right? Yeah, yep. So I, I live, yeah, I live in in Utah County, which is inside the state of of Utah, and uh, BYU is also in Utah County, but on the other side of the lake. So my question is, is how long would it take you to paddle across that lake on a paddleboard? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, forever. <laughs> for me, for me to paddle, probably forever. How far um, is it? That's a good question. I actually have no idea. I live, I live probably five minutes away from the lake, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't go to it. Nobody goes to Utah Lake. It's kind of a gross idea of a lake. I mean, some people might go and fish and things, but it's not necessarily like a swimming lake or a boating lake. And a lot of times, it's too shallow, anyways. Hmm. Um, but you can you can do some some fishing and things, but it's it's not really like one of our best yeah. recreational lakes. And you've got some hot springs up in the north bit. Is that right? There, yeah, there's 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 a few hot springs throughout the valley for sure. Um, there's there's more outside of the state of Utah, but if you went south of where I live, um, up into the canyon area. Um, Called, it's called Spanish Fork Canyon. Uh, if you went up there, there's some hot springs up there, and there's some hot springs throughout throughout the valley a little bit. Yeah. So I take it then, if you wanted to go to BY University, nobody's crossing that lake. You're just driving around. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's crossing the lake. So, yeah. yeah and BYU is in Provo, um, so which is the the main city in Utah County. It's the most populated city, and and so it's right right in, right in Provo, right about right up against the mountain there. Yeah, yeah. And these going back to these college teams, then do they? Is that a route? By the way, I know nothing about football. Is that a route through to like NFL and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's the primary path. Um, they will play. They have to play college for I, I think it's a couple of years uh, in 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 college, and then they can start looking at going into the NFL. A lot of guys will you know end up playing three or maybe four years, or some play a little bit longer. Uh, for for different reasons, and then get drafted into the NFL. Generally, the same for for the NBA as well. They will play at a, at a college for most of the time. Uh, get drafted into the NBA. Yeah. So hopefully, we've got Jeff waiting in the wings somewhere. Yeah, I just I just sent him his email, so he should be here fairly shortly. Uh, I got I got interested in our conversation about paddling across Utah Lake, and and didn't hit send. So that might be just an extra minute. <laughs> Yeah. So if, if people don't go to Utah Lake, what's the point of it? I mean, I know it's naturally there, but what do people do with it? Like I said, some people might do a little fishing there. I think there is some there is some recreation there. I make it sound like there's none, but yeah. um, it's just it's just not really the lake that it's not the prettiest lake out there, and so people generally try to avoid it. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. Can you hear us? Okay. I can. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you great. How are you, how are you doing? Great, doing well. How are you two? Very good, very good. All the, the sorry, we've just been banging on about technical difficulties and all the <laughs> all the audio and video sync was way out there, but it seems to have all settled down now. So that's that's good. Awesome. So Jeff, we've obviously never met before. Um, my, so I mean, we might as well do some quick introductions. My name's Cody. Uh, I also live. I I shouldn't say also. Do you live here in Utah County? Uh, I'm not Utah County. I'm up north in Davis County, but uh, Davis, Utah. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. So Rich, so for you, so we have um, in Utah, broken down into different counties. Um, you, we were just talking about Utah County. And then if you go just a little bit north, there's Salt Lake County. That's the most populated one and where the capital of Utah is. And then right above that is is where Jeff would live. Sorry, we were just discuss, discussing what's the point of the, the lake in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question, man. I, I live uh, right on the lake, the, the Great Salt Lake. And so the only point that I see is just real big mosquitoes all the time. It doesn't matter if the snow is here, the mosquitoes are still prevalent. That's the only thing I get from the lake. Well, I was a bit more positive than Cody because you referred to, to it as the great uh, salt lake. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, and, and to be fair, Rich, that we're talking about two different lakes. So oh, Utah, okay. there's a Utah lake down by where I live. Uh, and then there's the great salt lake, which is, is known for how uh, all the salt content and, and, and the salt flats and, and all that kind of stuff out here. So. Yeah, you might have realized I'm not from uh, I'm not from round your way, as you might have realized. Right. <laughs> I don't know that it's um, the Great Salt Lake. I don't know that it's much more beautiful than Utah Lake. It's probably the two lakes in the state that uh, that are the least attractive places yeah. to go. Just a couple of big puddles is really what they are. No question. For sure. So, Rich, do you want to maybe you mentioned that you're not from from Utah? Do you want to? Yeah, I'm not from Utah, so I'm, I'm Rich, and I'm from Manchester in the UK, if you've heard of Manchester. Yeah, And awesome. you'll have to treat me like an alien, Jeff, because number one, I'm from the UK, and number two, I don't know anything about American football. Perfect. And I don't really know what you do, and I've been looking at your Twitter feed, which we'll, we'll get on to talking about the, you know, one of the posts you put up there, which was really sure. great, which is how all this came about, but I, I wondered whether you could maybe try and explain to me and people in the UK and everywhere who's listening what you actually do. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I mean, so my, my real job, uh, I actually work in finance and that's what I do for a living. And then I, I have a, a hobby of just covering high, uh, high school and, and college football, American football for the most part. I, I'm a big BYU fan. That's the uh, university down by where Cody lives. Uh, I grew up cheering for BYU. They've got their sports teams, and I uh, got lucky enough to find a hobby that allows me to follow them closely and convince my wife that it's working so I can watch every game that's on TV. I don't have to you know, <laughs> rationalize that somehow. It's, it's part of work, part of the job. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And is, and is it particularly the American football that you specialize in, or is it all the different sports? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll watch and follow everything, but it's uh, mostly the football that I that I care about, that I really get into, and, and that's what I do. Um, I mean, you mentioned the job, right? That's what I, I write about, cover, um, have a podcast about it. It's all about American football. Yeah, yeah. So um, what's, the, what's the day job? Uh, I work in, in commercial banking and, and so just doing a lot of that real boring stuff that nobody really seems to like to talk about. And that's okay. I've, I've done that for 15 years and I don't particularly enjoy talking about it either. So, yeah. Uh, but I, I've been doing that for a while and, and it pays the bills, I guess. Yeah. You haven't started a podcast for commercial banking. It sounds like, you know, uh, as much as I want to the audience, there just hasn't been a whole lot of demand for people just really getting excited about banking. Yeah. Well, now, um, but Cody, you're a big sports fan, aren't you? And, and this is, this is something that that's kind of interested me over years, Jeff, this is like confessional time for me, <laughs> but that sports has kind of escaped me. 
Um, and to my detriment, I think, because I see other guys who meet up and they talk about sport and it's this real sort of bonding experience. And then I look at um, children and teenagers getting into sport and see this whole team building thing and, and the, the positive impact that it has. Um, my, well, I'm from a family, there was four children in my family, my older brother and younger brother, massively into football, quite a few sports fans in the family, and it's just completely escaped me. Um, so do you think people miss out if they're not interested in sport? <laughs> uh, I don't know about miss out. I mean, there's certainly other ways to, to, to scratch that itch, but I think you nailed it, Rich. I mean, uh, sports for me, it started when I was a kid and it was a way to connect with my dad and with my grandpa. And, and that was really what kind of tied us together as you go through those weird teenage years where people don't really like their parents, right? I mean, we always had sports that kind of forced us to talk and forced us to have a relationship. And then that carried over forever. And now I have the same kind of relationship with my kids. It's brought a lot of friends. Um, so sports definitely has has done a lot of good for me on, on that front. I think you're right. It is kind of a camaraderie and, and things like that. Uh, I don't think that it's, you know, anybody's missing out. There's certainly other ways to to fill those voids, but sports is uh it's a pretty easy one where you kind of you're sitting in a stadium with tens of thousands of people and you all are kind of collectively cheering about the same thing. You feel like you have friends just as soon as you sit down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know and I've mentioned this on the podcast before. My youngest son, um, he's fourteen and he has just by himself really become interested in football in fact he's got a question for you this might not translate to america but this was a question for cody was um cody's a, Chel a chelsea football club supporter and yes. um harry's question was are chelsea just a banter club <laughs> i had a feeling i had a feeling it was gonna be some trash talking involved in this does that mean it? does that translate to america uh Chelsea is is struggling the last couple of years, and because they're usually one of the top clubs, like like your son's club, yeah. uh, whenever they're struggling, it's easy to pile on, right? The whole the, everybody else has is free game, and they can say whatever they want. And every once in a while, when we suck, uh, we can't really say a whole lot back, and it's just so painful. Yeah, so, so this is what I love about sport, and sometimes I wish that I could join in with this because I see this banter between different people, and it's just a nice bonding experience, I think. And especially when you meet people for the first time, it's it's something that it's like a go-to, isn't it, to 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 start conversations. So I really like that. Yeah. yeah, no, it absolutely is. It's uh, whether you're cheering for the same team or you're cheering for the team, the other team, the, you know, on the opposite side of the field. There's something to talk about and it kind of forces you to, to talk and you, you know, there's some commonality. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. If you really like look at it at a macro level of what sports does in a society, it's, it's pretty, pretty interesting, pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, I, I'm curious how you, I mean, cause I hear that you, you got interested in BYU growing up with your dad and your grandpa and now it's turned into you're, you're able to watch it and your wife is okay with it because of what you do. But how, how did you get to that point? How did you go from just being the average fan to writing about it, covering it, hold, holding a podcast? How, how did that journey come about? You know, almost by complete accident. Um, when, when I when I first was in, started college, I, I wanted to be a journalist. I thought it was really cool. I loved sports. I was never very good at sports, but I knew I wanted to be a part of it somehow. Uh, so I started going to school for journalism, and that was the intent. 
And it only took about a year of, of being in school for journalism to realize that that maybe I liked making money more than I liked being a journalist. And so I had to very quickly pivot and find a different career that that would scratch that itch more than journalism would. But I always loved sports still. I always loved that writing. I, I, I really did enjoy it. Uh, it just wasn't going to pay the bills, right? So I kind of just did it for fun. I had some friends that had little blogs and things like that. And, and I, I blogged for them, would do guest articles here and there. Um, and just kind of, like I say, kind of by accident over time, enough of my friends had success in their careers where they got real jobs that, that allowed them to, you know, create websites and hire a staff and things like that. And they kept dragging me along with them to the point that uh, it, it kind of all came to fruition for me where I could run my own website, start my own thing, had a big enough of an audience that uh, it made sense to do that. Uh, so really it wasn't, it didn't intend to be like that I mean, to your question, Cody, it really did kind of happen by accident. Uh, but it certainly was a dream that I had. I just thought that it was a dream that I had kind of put on the back shelf and, you know, I would focus on other things and uh, 10, 15 years later, here we are doing it and it's been successful and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Sounds really cool. And your, your Twitter following then you've got a fairly decent Twitter follow. And I was looking through some of your tweets, trying to learn, a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, and obviously I'm aware of the uh, tweet that you put out about mental health and panic attacks. And that mm -hmm. caused a real stir, didn't it? It got a really big reaction. And I just wondered yeah. you, whether you could talk about that a little bit. No, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, really panic attacks and, and really kind of where all of this started um, it kind of happened before me, my wife, she had some real postpartum de depression after our second kid. And, uh, so I'm trying to think this was probably five. How old is my kid? He's, he's five, almost, I guess this was after my second kid. So this is seven or eight years ago now. And, and my wife really started to struggle and it was, I'd always heard about mental health. I never had any of the like negative outlook about it, but I'd never had any real firsthand experience dealing with it myself. My, my parents both come uh, from dairy farms and they are stereotypical farmers of if it's, you know, broken, you just fix it. If you're hurting, you rub some dirt on it and you get to work anyways, and you just sort of grit your way through everything. And so when my wife started to go through that postpartum, it kind of opened my eyes to the real impact that real, you know, health issue, mental health issues and struggles and challenges could have on a person. I've always only read about it, seen it, you know, from a distance. I never got to see it firsthand. And so that kind of opened my eyes to, whoa, this is scarier than I thought. This isn't just, you know, people who are, are on their last limbs, right? Or people who are, are out there that are struggling with this. This is, this is my wife. This is every day. This is normal. Uh, so we, we went through that and she went through her process and, and, and I got to see that from the outside, but I never, I never really felt anything. Uh, so it was a couple of years later, it was shortly after COVID, um, we were all working from home, everything was shut down. And I just, I, I don't know if I always, I, I had always relied on other people to kind of help keep me going or what it was. But once I was secluded and I had just a lot of time with me and my thoughts, the world got really scary really quickly. And I think the more that I sat and I thought about that, the more that I allowed those things that helped me cope with the struggles of life, those were gone, right? Those were my friends, those were sports, those were things like that. And it got to the point that it was real panic attacks. And I didn't recognize what it was. I, I thought I was having a heart attack. I went to the hospital twice thinking 
I must be having a heart attack. That has to be what it is. It didn't even dawn on me that it could be, you know, something, uh, a panic attack or mental health related. Went to the hospital twice, you know, did the EKGs and they told me, hey, no, you're fine. You're good. Go home. And I was like, well, that's great. I'm not going to die. But I still feel this pain in my chest. I still can't sleep. Um, and it really deteriorated from there. I mean, it, it got really dark for me very, very quickly. Uh, I was convinced that my physical body was failing me uh, because, again, I just did never dawn on me that I could have some sort of mental health issue that I needed to work through. And so I was convinced it was a physical ailment of some sort and that if I was to go to sleep, I, I kept having this image play in my head that I would go to sleep and that next morning I wouldn't wake up and it would be my kids who came in and found, you know, my lifeless cold body there in the bed. And it was like, well, I, I can't have that happen, right? So I better just stay awake. I better never go to sleep because I can't let my kids do that. And for about a week, a little more than a week, I was, you know, pounding energy drinks, doing everything I could to stay awake all night long and just never sleep. And I mean, as you guys know, when you start to lose sleep and it only gets worse faster. And so that was really when it all came to be. And, and my wife, you know, bless her soul, she had kind of gone through some of the postpartum stuff, recognized some of those signs and said, hey, Jeff, let's let's consider something that isn't a physical ailment and let's start to talk about your mental health. And from there, it, it kind of became this whole, you know, I, I, I don't love the word journey just because it, I feel like it because become cliche, but that's where it started for me was all of that physical stuff and that fear and all of that. And then a conversation with my wife of maybe we need to start focusing more on your mental health, Jeff, and let's figure out where this takes us. Yeah, there's, there's a, a couple of things that spring to mind. I really, really appreciate you being so open and sharing all that with us. Um, I'm curious, before you had your first panic attack, um, would, would you say that you felt depressed or was there anything, you know, were you starting to think things were going wrong? How, how were you feeling? Can you remember how you were feeling before it? Uh, honestly, I felt like I was pretty normal. I, I never felt depressed. Uh, I think if I look back, there were probably signs that, uh, you know, I like to be outside. I like to be outgoing and around people and I wasn't doing any of that stuff. It felt normal because of circumstance, because I could blame, you know, COVID, right? I, I wanted to keep everybody safe. I didn't want to, you know, be around people and be exposed or whatever. Uh, if I think if I really look at it, those were probably some of the signs of like I was acting a little bit different. But in terms of how I felt and, and anybody around me, I think that due to the circumstance of the world, everybody would have thought that I was in a pretty normal headspace. Yeah. I know but you're saying everybody would think. Uh, yeah, people looking at you, but how did you feel? Yeah. Yeah. And, and from my perspective, I think I didn't know that I was struggling. Nothing major. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think I felt like myself. Uh, but like I say, I, I think that I probably would have, you know, I chalked that up to, yeah, it's COVID and we're all sitting inside. So everybody feels like this. I definitely didn't think anything was wrong. Yeah, you had just mentioned that this is kind of your wife pointing this out of like, hey, Jeff, maybe we should take a look at, at your mental health. Do you, that sounds like that was maybe new for you, that whole idea of, of mental health and looking at that. Do you remember what your thoughts were when when she made that suggestion and and what you just started thinking of that this might be different than what I was thinking of? What, what was that part like for you? Well, well, I ignored it the first time. I mean, she actually brought it up. I mentioned I went to the hospital twice, right? Thinking I was having a heart attack. The first time, none of us knew what was going on. We all panicked. We all got there. 
the second time after, you know, I, I had been in the hospital a week ago and now here I am saying, no, Jessica, I'm having these problems again. Obviously I'm dying. Uh, my wife tried to have the conversation at that point and I, I totally just disregarded it at that point because, uh, you know, she reflected back on her experience and I said, look, Jess, I know you had your experience, but I'm not that I'm not mm. there. It's something else. And so I was pretty resistant to it. Uh, and then even after we got home that second time, I, I was pretty standoffish about it. I didn't want to talk about it. And maybe it was a fear of I didn't want to talk about it uh, or or just a pride of, no, this couldn't be me. Uh, but whatever it was, I didn't want to talk about it. And it wasn't until, I mean, I was, I was tired. I was not sleeping. I was irritable with everybody because of my lack of sleep that I think I had to face the reality. And, and candidly, I think my wife, she timed it well for me because I was just so tired, I couldn't argue or resist anymore. And she kind of sat me down and said, we're going to talk about this at that point. Mm. That's mm. something that really struck me in your article as well, that you, um, didn't you stay awake for sort of five or six days or something and you were nailing the uh, energy drinks? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was not great. I mean, certainly not healthy. Uh, but but it, it, it did, it impacted everything, right? Because I was just so exhausted all the time. My ability to fight off or even have, you know, internal conversations in my head, it was all gone. I was just too tired. And at that point, I think that the, you know, the illness, the, the struggles, they just sort of overcame me at that point. Mm. How are you feeling now? It's still a struggle. I, I, uh, I'm up and down. You know, I have my my really good days, but I still get panic attacks. I, I still they're not as as scary as they were. I recognize you know what they are, and I, I know what I need to do to get through it. Uh, and so that's huge, right? I'm able to sleep. I'm able to go because I know what it is. Um, but in terms of the the day to day anxiety and stress and things like that. Uh, it's still something that 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 I'm going to probably work with for, or work through forever, and and certainly something that I work through today still for sure. Yeah, I know that you mentioned that you don't like the word journey, but I'm I'm curious too, how what the process was for you once once you opened up to to Jessica's idea that this might be mental health related, and you might kind of open to like I got to try something something else here. What were those next steps? What what did that look like for you? And how have you gone on to, to get to this place where where you're still working through through these, these panic attacks that you're still having, but they're not quite as scary? Um, I don't know if the word would be, be contrition or if I was just so exhausted uh, that that I couldn't argue or push back. But but she said, hey look, let's get you let's get you in front of a doctor. Let's talk to somebody. Uh, she, when she went through her postpartum, I mentioned that, I mean, she was medicated and, and went through, you know, I can't remember which, uh, antidepressant she got on, but it helped her. And I, I saw a cognizant change in her, right. Almost immediately. And so I was able to really kind of draw from her experience and see that, wow, this changed her life and okay. I don't think this will work. There was, there was some doubt in my mind, but I was willing to give it a try because I did see such a change in her life and in her day to day. So I went through and I met with the doctor. We, we got on some, uh, some medication again. I don't, I don't remember which one it was on. Um, but we went through it and, and for the first three or four months, I didn't feel any different. And, and even, you know, even as I got further and further removed, I don't know that I ever felt any different. But it was other people around me who were able to point out and say, hey, you're not having panic attacks. Hey, you're way you know, kinder. You're not as irritable. You're, you're willing to listen more, things like that, that I, I had to kind of be reminded to look at myself a little bit and go, 
actually, I do feel pretty good. And, and maybe that's a byproduct of I never really felt like I was in any sort of a dark space until I was right there in that dark space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the journey was I started with medication and things like that and, and, and got through the pain. And that was when I started to learn maybe what the triggers were, what the warning signs of a panic attack were going to be for me, uh, and what some of my coping mechanisms were. Uh, through today, and it's been, you know, a few years now, uh, off of the medication, and I try to, you know, I like to feel things. And even if it is ups and downs, I do like to feel. So off of the medication now, and just have to really be you know, cognizant and, and aware of what others around me are saying, how I'm treating other people. And I, I kind of go through almost every night, a checklist of just what the day was like for me to just make sure that I'm not falling back into uh, some of those some of those traps that got me to where I was a few years ago. Did you end up, um, I heard you say you went to a doctor and got prescribed a medication. Um, I'm guessing it was an anxiety medication at that yeah. point. Um, did you end up doing any counseling or did you, or did you just kind of do some self-reflection on what may have caused these symptoms? Um, yeah, never any formal counseling. I, I always wanted to, I, I'm a pretty open book with anybody who will ask, right? And so I talked a ton. Uh, I was talking to to just about everybody um, about mental health, about what I was dealing with. I had a lot of people that reached out to me. Um, so never formal therapy, but I definitely started to talk a whole lot more than I than I was before, and really more than I ever had at that point uh, in my life about anything else. I really became uh, a talker about my feelings instead of just listening to other people's feelings. Yeah, that's really good. And and you mentioned in your article about. Um... Uh, you know, reaching out to other people who are struggling, and and something that really struck me when I was reading through your Twitter feeds, and I'll I'll try and articulate this, but you you posted up your article, and it, it was almost like this pressure relief for people who were replying, restacking, tweeting, saying I've suffered this, I've suffered that, I'm going through this. Um, I know I'm generalising here, but generally the sorts of people perhaps that are following a sports Twitter feed aren't there for the mental health chat. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that's true. And, and uh, that that's one of the reasons that I do like to share the story. I mean, there's a, there's a philosophical belief in me of if we don't talk about our past, it's just stuff that happened. Right. And so if we, if we can talk about our past, we learn from it, we all can help each other. And, and, and so I, I try to talk about it for sure. And if sports, if sports and the need for you know information on somebody's favorite team is is what brings somebody to follow me, then great. I hope I can also lend that lifeline or at least share my story in the event that somebody does start to feel you know how I did. Um, in in recent weeks, it's really become almost alarming, uh, and certainly it has become alarming. Uh, just in my sphere, my scope of the world, how many middle-aged men have you know have died by suicide in the last few weeks? Just in my scope, and and certainly that those numbers are rising every year. You know, I think internationally, I think those numbers are going up every year. Uh, and so I'm there, right? I'm a middle-aged man. I'm a dad. I'm a. There's not always a lot of people willing to talk about. It is kind of hard to be a dad sometimes. It's hard to just go to work and be told to go figure it out. And there's just lots of figuring it out. But what does that really mean? And, and who's there to help the person who's figuring it out? What happens if they can't figure it out right quickly? So if I if I can help have those conversations with anybody, one or two or three people who follow me for 
for football news, then fantastic. Then, then, you know, uh, that certainly makes having a Twitter account well worth it. Yeah. You may, you make a really good point. And it's so like is, you know, men and women, of course, but we're three guys here talking about men's mental health and, um, we are under so much pressure, you know, the world that we live in. And obviously you mentioned the COVID thing. And that's something that I actually don't think about too much. But at the time, that was such a, a huge thing and the, and the worry for your family. Um, I, I remember the relief for me when the, the news first started getting through that uh, perhaps children weren't going to be as badly affected as adults. And that mm. was just, that was a, a massive relief because before, you know, before that news came out, it was like unbearable. You know, it was like catastrophic what was going on. And then it was like, okay, children are probably going to be okay. So that was like this this slight relief. But I don't know. I think you you take it all on as a father, don't you, or as a family, and you you kind of do your best. And you mentioned you you're going out to work. Something else you mentioned in your article, which is we sometimes overlook how important we are. We think we're just going to work and fixing the house and doing this but it's all really important stuff isn't it it is it is it's it's easy to uh, reduce yourself to i'm a paycheck right i mean i'm the the financier for my family and that's what my role is you know and and i think uh i think in the name of of making sure that that mothers that that women are taken care of and absolutely they should be we've just sort of forgotten about men too right and and so if i go through uh, whether it's it's church, whether it's just day-to-day conversation, there's lots of resources that are talking about how difficult it is to be a mom, and it is, right? How difficult it is to to raise children, and it is difficult. They, they need support, they need help. But in those conversations, I think there's an unspoken, so your job, dad, is to make sure she's happy, make sure she's getting what she needs, make sure you're going to work so that she can have the the resources to raise your kids. That's your job. And, and, and in some respects, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. I mean, that's, that's not for me to decide. But I think as a man who's heard that, right, whether indirectly or directly, I, I have felt that insignificance where maybe I'm just not seen, even in my own home sometimes. And I have a wonderful wife, right, who's helped pull me out of this, who's way more aware of me and what I'm doing than I am. But there's a lot of, I think, people who maybe don't have that somebody who's that keenly aware of what I, you're doing. Mm. And if you're just thinking of what you're doing yourself, I'm going to work. I talk to the same people every day. I, you know, I do the same thing every day. I get the same salaried paycheck every couple of weeks. And that's what I do. I just mm. do that same routine every time. And it, it's easy to reduce yourself into something way less than, than you really are. Yeah. I've, I've had this conversation at home a lot with my wife where I've, I've been saying, yeah, I don't really do anything. I just, I go to work. And, and, and also this is a classic middle age thing, getting to a certain age and going, I, you know, I've, I've failed. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to reach the, I'm not going to reach where I thought I was going to reach. And I'm, you know, what, what did I do? All I've done is gone to work and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, but you've, you've supported the family and that's yeah. massive. And I go, mm, okay. <laughs> Rich and I have talked about this on the podcast a couple of times, and I just wonder what your thoughts are. Why do you think it is difficult for men to get into these types of conversations, to talk about I'm more than just a paycheck, to talk about I have these emotions and thoughts and feelings too? Like, What do you think it is that holds us back from engaging? Uh, you know, I think there's 
um, kind of, I, I don't want to call it superficial, but almost those surface level answers of, you know, men are tough. Men are, you know, the men don't want to have those conversations. You can't just call up your buddy and say, Hey, I feel things. That's weird. And, and I think that those are the, the stereotypes, but in my experience, I, when I do reach out, most of my friends, guys are not right. Most of my male friends are willing to have those conversations. And I think, uh, so I don't think that that's it, but I think we think that's it. And as a result, I think that myself, I don't want to talk about it because I'm afraid of what somebody else is going to think or say or feel or do. Um, I think it really is driven by us internally that, uh, we figure things out. I say we as just that middle-aged dad, right? You lose your job. How are you gonna? How are you gonna get a new job? How are you gonna pay the bills? Well, a conversation with my wife isn't gonna, you know, bring a, more money. So I just go figure it out. I have to figure it out. That's what I do. Uh, if my car breaks down and I'm on family vacation, I can sit and talk about it with my wife, or I can figure it out, and then we can continue our vacation. And I think if we look at what we do as as men. It's a lot of just that figuring it out. I'm going to figure it out. And that's that's how our brains are wired. Uh, so when it comes to mental health, I think we tend to blame that no society makes those conversations hard. And maybe it does. But I think more than anything, we're just wired to figure it out. And figuring it out means I just get in and I start you know, banging it with a hammer and figuring it out. It doesn't necessarily mean reach out and ask for help. And at least for me, uh, that was maybe the biggest roadblock, mental roadblock that I had to overcome is that uh, my figuring it out process involved other people and talking and needing help. And, and that was something that even when I've needed help before, you, you label it networking, not getting help. And so there just was never, I, I never had to get help. That was never really what I did. Um, and I think mental health, everybody talks about getting help. And I think that there's a, a gap there of help and, you know, whatever else we're calling it, figuring yeah. it out. Uh, those are kind of the same thing. That leads me to another question that I had about your article in terms of like how people seem to be open to conversations when we can engage in them. But for whatever reason, we don't think that we can engage in them. Yeah. We don't think we can ask the questions. So. I'm curious, when you wrote this article and you were getting ready to, to release it, to publish it and send it out, I'm curious what your thoughts and your emotions are or were when you were getting ready to send it out and how that changed after it was out there and you were getting some feedback. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've actually written about it a couple of times. This was certainly the first that it, it I think, kind of took off in the way that it did. Um, so for me, I was pretty comfortable. I, I really, like I say, if we, if we don't talk about our past or what brought us to where we are today, then it just happened, right? I mean, we had all that experience and all that, uh, all those lessons. And if we don't talk about them with somebody, then then what was the point of it all? So I, I'm, I tend to be pretty open about it. Uh, what was different this time is um, there was some anger. I mean, I'll be honest. There was some anger and frustration because of, like I mentioned, Cody, the, the I had seen, I think it was four that particular week that I published. There were four dads in my scope of life that that had died in the you know seven, ten days leading up to that article. And it was I was angry. I was frustrated. I, 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 I hate that there's more and more of our brothers that are are struggling with things that they're certainly not easy to overcome, but they are overcomable if we just can reach out and, and see each other a little bit. And maybe it's, you know, so I, I think I mentioned it like this in the article of 
sometimes it's hard to reach out your hand and ask for help, but there's not a lot of people that are trying to reach down and grab hands and pull them up so that they can help. And uh, so there was some anger. I mean, I'll be honest, there was some anger for me. And that's kind of what led to talk about it as maybe in, in, in as much detail as I did in that article this time. And then the subsequent response was super refreshing because there were so many people that are trying to find those hands that are sticking out and asking for help. And that was awesome. Um, so that, that made me feel good. But then I still go back to, man, there were, but there were four of us that we, we couldn't help in the last week and a half. And uh, I, you know, obviously we can't all save and help everybody that that's unrealistic, but I, I wish that we could have made that number three instead of four. And that was really what the driving force was. It's a really tricky thing. I, I'm going to float my, um, I had this idea and then I thought it was a bad idea. And then I had somebody comment on the podcast that it was a good idea. So here it goes. Um, it was about having some sort of a scheme that you could sign up to and you'd wear a badge. Let's say it could say everyday therapist on it, for example. So you could wear one of these badges during your sports events and things. And what it does is basically signals to people that if you're struggling, uh, you're somebody who's been through a few things and you could, they could reach out to you. Yeah. You know what, whatever it takes, right. I, I, I think for people to know that there are, there is help and there is resources. We, we do this at least here in Utah, maybe Cody, you, you, you did this when you were a kid. Um, I'm trying to remember what the name was, but there was a, a picture of a dog the, the kid, you could put this picture of a dog on a house. And, uh, if kids were like, I don't know if they were in trouble after school, there were these pictures of these dogs at these houses that they knew that they could run to that house for safety. If somebody was coming to abduct them, I, I can't remember what the dog's name was. I wish I could remember. Uh, but you knew that that was a safe house because they had gone through some certification process or whatever. They taught about, they taught that dog who those, you know, what it represented, all of that stuff in school. And, and I remember, uh, I, I never had to, to utilize that dog, but I remember seeing those houses with those pictures of that dog on, uh, as I would walk home from school and stuff. Mm. And I think with men, sometimes for me, mm. I, I need somebody to speak really simply to me. And, and if it's something like a badge that says, hey, look, this somebody can help you, fantastic. Um, I, I think at this point, there's no bad ideas in the name of, of trying to spark a conversation and, and reach out and, and help somebody. Yeah, that idea came from, I was, at, um, and I'm, I'm repeating something that I talked about on another podcast, but this was when I was at a, a big work conference and I was going through a, um, a low period, let's say. I was really struggling, as many men do, and they go off to work and do their thing. So I traveled to, to Barcelona. I was on this conference thing, and I was just... I probably came across like I was okay. I was just about holding it together because I thought if I don't hold it together, I'm going to create even more problems for myself and for my, my job and all this kind of thing. So it was like deep breaths, just get it together and get through it. But I was really struggling and I was looking out across this floor and there was, there was thousands of other, it was mainly men, it's a male dominated industry. And I was like, I cannot be the only person in here struggling. Um, and I don't know who to talk to. And I could really do with talking to somebody. And again, just not anything huge, just a little bit of pressure relief to say to somebody, really struggling with this, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me, feeling anxious and like I'm trying to get my head down and get through it. 
for somebody to just understand that for five minutes, I think would have been a massive help to me. Yeah, it has, uh, you know, the, the more open I've been about it, I think people recognize like, hey, they can, you know, say something to me. Um, and it's been interesting of, uh, you know, if people ask for my phone number, they send me a message on, you know, Twitter and email, whatever it is. Um, there, that's happened, you know, several dozen times. And even in the last couple of months, um, it, it, people have reached out. It doesn't take much. I think people just want to know there's a little bit of help. And uh uh, I've certainly seen that of people reaching out to me and me being on the other side of where I've reached out for help. Uh, it, it isn't always a sit down talk for, you know, an hour long therapy session or anything like that. It's a, I just, you want to feel seen and knowing that there's somebody who who will be there to look for you is, is definitely comforting and reassuring. You talked about, you talked about your, your growing up and, and who your parents were and, and maybe I think a lot of us probably experience that, right, is, is mental health this seems to be a growing field and it really wasn't talked about as, as much when we were kids. I, I'm curious, now that you, how has that changed your view on, on mental health? What has that been like? Well, I'm a lot more aware, right, uh, in a, even with my kids now. Uh, my oldest is in fourth grade. She's, she's nine and a half years old, and I, I can see her starting to feel things. She's going through emotions with her friends, and I, I start to recognize, hey, we can help her out. Maybe, you know, today's issues that she's dealing with on the playground aren't the end of the world, but if we can help her recognize what she's feeling right now, maybe she avoids the feeling that I had when she's, you know, 29 years old down the road because she's practiced some of those skills and she's learned what those coping mechanisms are now. Uh, I think for me and my for my wife and for so many of our friends that are our age, we're all kind of learning what mental health is. And, and I think that's the biggest mind shift for me is it's no longer just something that impacts the few. It's something that all of us deal with, whether you end up with depression and you end up, you know, having therapy and all of that stuff, or you're just living your day-to-day -day life, we all have feelings and we all, uh, we all have struggles and ups and downs. And, and so I think that's really the, the biggest thing for me that's changed is, is trying to give those skills to, to whether it's my friends that reach out or to my kids, because all of us have some sort of mental health, something along the way, right? It, it, there's varying scales, but all of us go through something and just trying to teach what those skills are to help recognize it more than anything, help recognize that this is something that you might need help with. Uh, that's something that I, I wasn't doing five or six years ago because we were all just sort of gritting our teeth and getting through it. Just going back a little bit, Jeff, to the back to the sports field now and to your American football team that you, you um, talk about. Um, the different sports players and stuff is that something do they talk about mental health is it is it locked down is it is are they open about such things i i think like anybody else they're starting to i think there's a lot more conversation that's happening than than there was 10 or 15 years ago and uh, without question is there enough is there as much as as uh, is there as much conversation as there is struggle i don't think so but there's significantly more conversation today than there was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago and certainly 30, 40 years ago. Mm. I'm just really interested in that whole team building thing, because obviously, again, I don't know anything about sports, but I imagine if I was on a, an American football team, I'd want to know that I could rely on the next guy and I could trust this guy and he was tough and that guy's tough. 
And if I'm trying to win a match, I don't really want to know that this guy's freaking out. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's really like there's something interesting there, isn't there, about being able to be vulnerable and have conversations with people. And that sort of sports analogy, that would probably also translate into the workplace or just among friendships is, and perhaps this is more a male thing, you want to have people around you that you can rely on and uh, mm-hmm. are not going to be falling over at the first sign of trouble. Uh, you do. And and I think that there's certainly a balance there. The, the, the other side of that, I think that sports kind of naturally, a lot of the coping mechanisms that people need, sports just sort of naturally bring them out because of the nature of what you're doing. Um, you have to communicate. In order to play American football, you've got to talk to the guy next to you. You've got to understand what the opponent is doing and, you know, schematically and and tactically how they're trying to get to you. So you have to talk, you have to communicate, you have to exercise, you have to work out, you have to depend on the person next to you, especially American football and its violence and things like that. But there's some beauty to it that if I am not doing my job, then sure that the guy behind me, maybe he gets tackled and, and he gets hurt, but it's not just me either. It's that other guy on my team too. So I've got to make sure that I'm doing my job, he, he, he has to make sure I'm doing my job. I've got to hold him accountable. And there's this unspoken bond that you're just communicating. You're talking, you become brothers. You're all working towards the same common goal and you're doing it every single day. And then you're reviewing what you did, right? After the game is over, you're immediately watching film and learning what you did wrong and how you can improve. The I think that the nature of sports is super healthy and it really sparks conversation. Now it can, it can cross a line into where it's just ultra competitiveness and you forget about everything else for sure. But I think there's a lot of that natural camaraderie, that natural support group and, and people pulling each other up and asking for help of, Hey, I, you know, I can't make this move. I'm getting beat by this guy every time. Help me out, coach, help me out, you know, person next to me. Uh, so sports, I think are really, really healthy in that regard. Um, and it's, it is a lot of fun. Now there is that rich to your point. There is that element of, but if I know I'm struggling, I don't want to let all of these other people down. And I think that that's what, what we need to figure out a way to, to bridge that gap for people. Um, but having said that, I think that if you're an active athlete, you're playing in sports, that support system almost kind of without you know, being spoken about that support system is there. And I I recognize the difference of when I was playing and I had teammates and I had people that I was talking to all the time. uh, I, I didn't have as many struggles just because I was, I I knew that I had a brotherhood there with me all the time, even though we never addressed mental health or thought about it. I had people who loved and cared about me and wanted me to succeed. And I felt that every single practice, every single game. And then as I grew up and you know got into the workplace and other things and sports became just a hobby that I watched on TV, uh, that brotherhood was gone. I still loved sports, but I missed that brotherhood. And then there was, I, I try to find ways to replicate that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I have maybe a, a bit of a different opinion on that a little bit. And I, I come from the mental health field. Um, just again, we hadn't met yet, but I, I think I mentioned when I reached out to you, I'm a therapist uh, here mm-hmm. in our community. And so... Uh, I, I work on that stuff a lot, and I almost feel like we could get to this. I think where you were, you were headed, Jeff. I think that 
it is healthy to be able to share with your teammate of, hey, I am struggling with this or that. And it doesn't just have to be, you know, athletically related. It can be, I'm, I'm struggling with my anxiety. I'm struggling with some feelings of sadness or if if you're in you know the NFL or professional sports, like I'm going through a divorce and it does see, yeah. it is impacting me. Or I am worried about my kid um, who's struggling in school. And I, again, I'm in this field, so maybe my 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 view is coming from from that side of things. But to me, I feel like that builds extra connection, extra yeah, um, extra camaraderie. And to me, if if it was if I was next to that person on my team i would want to fight more for them i would want to to um i wouldn't be worried about them necessarily falling over or not living up to the challenge because i in some ways it would feel inspiring that i know that they're dealing with all of this stuff and they're still out here just grinding and pushing um but as soon as we get off the field i'm i'm here for them too that that feels inspiring to me that that's my perspective on it i, I think you're absolutely right and and i think that it is uh, it is that way. And, and, and I think my point is that I, I remember being an athlete and being on those teams. You, you tend to have those conversations, I think, without knowing you're having those conversations just because you spend so much time with somebody. Um, but I, I agree with you, Cody, that if I know somebody else is struggling, I do want to lift them up and I do want to help them. I think where the gap is, is there's still that mental hurdle of I don't want them to know that I'm struggling because then they'll think I might let them down. Right. And that's yeah. that that to me is where the, the the I guess the gap that we have to bridge is, because to your point, I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, opening up and being uh, vulnerable, I think, is inspiring for the person next to you. But if I'm the person who needs to be vulnerable, it's uh, I'm, I'm pretty scared to do that because I feel like I, maybe I would disappoint them. Yeah, it's because we yeah, don't not, um, we, we don't want to put on people, do we? So we're very, you know, generally we're reserved about saying I'm, I'm struggling with this. I mean, I can think of many work situations where I've thought, yeah, I'm struggling, but I don't want to give somebody that extra pressure. <laughs> if I say mm -hmm. to them, you know, you know, we've got all this going on today. Well, actually, on top of that, I'm struggling. So you tend to just to just crack on something that comes across um jeff with what what you're telling me and this this came across with an, another guest that we had uh chanel is um you refer to a support network quite a lot it, it's, it's something you've said many times and I, th I just think that's so important and this is something that i'm learning through the podcast that people who are struggling with various mental health conditions or how, whatever you want to call it um they're not, they're not doing it alone. They have this support network around them, which is really key to helping them. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely is. And, and, uh, you know, and I'd be curious to hear, um, uh, your guys' opinions on this, of, of where the struggle comes from. Um, but I know for me, and I don't know if this is a me thing or if this is a, a middle-aged men thing, it's hard to have friends, right? I mean, I have friends that I talk to, but I, you know, I, I've casually joked in my life that, you know, my ideal friend is somebody I go to lunch with maybe once or twice a year. Uh, if I need a job, I can reach out and they can, you know, give me a, a referral or something like that. But I don't, you know, need to go hang out with the buddies on Friday night, every single Friday night. I don't have a, a bunko group with, you know, like my wife does where she goes and hangs out with her girlfriends and things like that. I, I don't have any of that stuff. Um, 
And so a support group has been vital for me because when I was trying to do it by myself, I wasn't sleeping. I mean, I know what I was doing and it wasn't working. I needed that support group. And I was lucky that that I had one that was able to to bring me out of it or at least you know snap their fingers and make me aware of something that I wasn't aware of. I don't know how, I don't know if I'm abnormal in that or if, you know, maybe there are a lot of guys like me that I go to work and I talk to people and that feels normal. That feels like my friends, my coworkers. And then I go home and I just want to be home. And then when I need help and I need a support group, if my family isn't there, I, there's not a whole lot of people that I, I readily think of that I can reach out to. Um, and I don't know how to I don't know how to cultivate that as a society. Like, yeah. how do we do that at a macro level so yeah. that the people who are like me, if that is more normal, that that it's easier to find that group? It's really difficult. Well, I'm, maybe it's just me and you, Jeff, but I'm the same. <laughs> <laughs> I am, because I, I have a few friends. Are you, Cody, are you the same? Yeah, I'm in that group too, for sure. I think that that's, a, I think that that's an average normal male thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite lazy when it comes to friends in the, in the sense that you know, I have a few friends and I, and I really, really do enjoy seeing them and, and I like going, doing a bit of wild camping and cycling and stuff like that. But this happens probably like two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the rest of the time, I'm just quite lazy. You know, when I come back from work, as you've described, I, I come into the house, it's, it's my comfort zone. I'm quite happy spending time by myself. I always, I like the situation. I've got three children. I like it when the house is busy, but I'm doing my own thing and I'm kind yeah, of, so there's yeah. some stuff going on in the background. I'm not alone, you know, but my, my family is, is sort of happening around me. Um, but there are times where I probably should be uh, talking to people when I'm not. We have a, an initiative over here. I don't think I'm quite old enough, believe it or not, to join this one, but they have a thing over here, <laughs> men in sheds. Um, so, so men meet up and do stuff like fix lawnmowers and bash things with hammers and stuff like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't exactly know what they do, but you're allowed to talk about your feelings, I guess, if you go to one of these things. And so I thought, I, I think all that stuff's really good. Um, again, though, it takes a little bit of courage, I think, to go to something like that. Um, there's an, an initiative here. Um, Cody, hopefully you can help me out on the name of that uh, thing. In- yeah, are you talking about Andy's Man Club? Andy's, what was it? Andy's Man Club? Andy's Man Club. So this yeah. this actually came about, sadly, through um, a guy who lost his brother-in-law to suicide. And he decided that he was going to open up the village hall and on a Monday night and invite other guys to come along if they wanted to and talk about their feelings. But that takes a massive amount of courage. He thought nobody was going to turn up. Um, he advertised it a little bit on social media, I think. And the first night, I think there was over 20 people turned wow. up. Um, and this thing has grown all over the UK. So every single Monday night, except for Christmas and perhaps a couple of other evenings around the country, and I think there's maybe 30 or 40 of them, um, these community centres will open up their doors and it's free for any man to come in and, and sit down. And I guess they sit around in a, t- a circle or something and, and, and talk about their feelings. And it's been just massively popular. So it's, it's really great to hear that there's stuff like that going on. 
Yeah, that's awesome because it, it does. It just seems like there's there's a gap there uh, for men in particular that because man, it sounds like maybe it isn't just a meat thing. Maybe it is normal that uh, friends just aren't a priority. And, and and maybe there's an unspoken. I know for me, there's an unspoken guilt when I go out. If I go to a ball game with my friends that I'm not at work and I'm leaving my family and I feel guilty about that. I feel like I should be with my family. And so that's even, you know, there's, there's not, not only is there not a desire to get up and go and do something with my friends, there's also something that feels like it's pulling me down when I do get that desire. And so that, that's really interesting. And I, I, I love that, that Andy's man club sounds fantastic. And I, I think that, I, I think that's something that men, you know, where we are, Cody here in Utah, I, I don't know if there's something similar, but I, I, I think it's something that's needed for sure. I do too. And I, you know, I've, I've not come across it. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it will be Cody and Jeff's man club after this yeah. podcast. <laughs> we might need to, man. Yeah, yeah. I should do it. Sure. Yeah, I think that'd be good. I think um, they're growing rapidly. This organization, so you never know. They might they might break America in the next year or so. Who knows? That's yeah. awesome. For sure. Well, Jeff, uh, I have just some fun wrap up questions that I wanted to to rapid fire at you in here. Somewhat mental health related, a little bit off the wall. I, I think I sent them at least a little bit to you so you could kind of see them. Um, and so are you okay if we just jump into those? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So uh, first one is name one of your favorite accomplishments and one current challenge that you're going through in life. Uh, one of my favorite accomplishments, I mean, it, it almost feels like a cop-out answer, but I'm really proud of my family. My, my kids... Uh, I've got really, really awesome kids and, uh, every day they are just, they're smarter than I am. They're, you know, more talented than I am. They're, you know, they, they're going on to, to big, great things. And the fact that I get to call them my accomplishments by just them being in my house is, uh, it, there's nothing greater than that. There's, there's no question about it. Um, and then something that I'm struggling with is, is, uh, well, I mean, it, it's kind of what we've talked about here today is this real desire to want to help more people, but having, you know, really little to no idea of how to do it other than to talk about it. Um, I, 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 I hope that there are people that, you know, are smarter than me that can help us. I'm ready to help. I just don't know what to do. And I want to figure out how we can help more people. Um, just talk, just talk, just become more friends and just start to talk to each other. Uh, yeah, more I just got to just jump in there, Jeff. So you're definitely helping. I mean, you, the, the thing that you did on Twitter, it was, uh, yeah, it was incredible. It was really brave to do it. The interaction it got was was incredible. Um, Green's come on this podcast and and all that sort of thing. You know, we really appreciate it. I think, it's, I think that's a good accomplishment. Oh, well, thank you. All right. Question number two, do you engage in any self-care activities? And if so, what is your favorite one? Um, not, I mean, not actively, not like cognizantly where I think of, Hey, no, it's time to, to do self-care. Uh, but I mentioned, I do kind of a checklist every night and I guess that's, I mean, that's really what that is, um, is self-care, but I just kind of run through my day and I try to give myself, identify the wins. Uh, it's the sports fan in me, but it's hard to go to a bank and, you know, know if I won the day or not. There's not a scoreboard that I can look at to see if we're, we're doing well or if I failed or, or whatever. Uh, and so I try to identify the wins every single night. When I'm laying in bed, I just kind of replay what I did in the day, whether, you know, sometimes I'm just looking at my calendar and trying to remember meetings and things like that. But I, I try to go to bed 
uh, with two or three wins that I've identified. Usually they're, they're really, really small. You know, sometimes it's as small as, uh, you know, my son did something and I didn't react the way that my, I wanted to react. I didn't <laughs> yell and scream. And sometimes that's the win that I need to say, okay, I, I had a successful day. Today was good. I had enough successes that I could say today was good. Um, so I, I try to do that uh, every night. It doesn't always happen, but that's something I try to do, you know, at least five or six times a week. I like that. That's like a gratitude thing. I was just thinking my what I've achieved today, and I, I think I, I put the bins out. I think that's about the best thing I've done. Yeah. Sometimes that's <laughs> it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. I'm going to go off script here for just a second. I have another question. You brought up sports and and how you know you can engage in that. Sport can be a very nasty place, I think, sometimes. Um, between rivalries, of course, of course, Twitter or social media is not always great for, for rivalry fans that way, but even aside from that, just building expectations for a team, watching the team you know, maybe not rise to those expectations or have a disappointing game or maybe even a disappointing year, I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with in general is just managing the stress and anxiety. And even though sports is an outlet, in so many ways it also creates very difficult emotions to deal with. What's that mm -hmm. like for you? And how do you deal with that since you're so engaged in it? Yeah, it, it's uh, being as engaged and, and having to jump in, uh, you know, into the day to day of, of, of a sports team has really kind of opened my eyes to to process over results. Uh, I think as sports fans, you flip on a ball game on you know Saturday afternoons and, and the final score is all that matters. And ultimately, that's how you're judged. Right. But there's a whole process of of a football team that plays on Sundays. There's Monday through Saturdays where there's a lot of things that have to happen. And then really Sunday is, is out of their control. And I think that that has been something that I've taken away in recent years is, is starting to focus more on the process and the work. And are we, you know, is a team doing the right stuff or the coaches trying to say the right things to players or the players working hard enough in practice and learning more about who those players are and what they do when it's not the game has made the games almost just consequential at that point. Mm -hmm. I, I care more about uh, the off season and the workouts and the who's going to be on the roster and what is the, you know, if it's a professional team, what is the general manager doing to set somebody up for success and seeing how much effort goes into it is inspiring. And it, it really is something that I've, I've really grown to love. And then there's the game and the game just sort of happens. Um, there's certainly sports culture with sports fans and, and that's, you know, where I think most people fall in. Right. And it's really hard, but I think it's, it's kind of the same process of, uh, why am I a sports fan? Well, I'm a sports fan because yeah, I want to win, but at the end of the day, my team winning or losing doesn't really matter. doesn't have anything, any bearing on what's to come. But the connections that I make with the people who sit around me or the fun that I have in following the team and, and calling my buddy and saying, hey, did you hear about X, Y, and Z, you know, or this player that did something. And even having that rivalry where for those, you know, a couple of hours on game day, you, you hate each other, you combat each other or whatever, just as fans wearing a different logo being able to build that friendship and, you know, maybe it's a little smack talk or whatever it is. Like if you get back to why you're doing that outside of social media, at least it's to build friends and it's all done in good fun. And I, I've had to find ways to focus more on that. 
uh, because Cody, you're you're exactly right, and especially on social media, it it can devolve into just toxic really really quickly to where the you know the color of your shirt matters more than the human behind the shirt and and that's uh i don't know how to combat that other than to try to redirect focus on on the human yeah that's that's such a great answer and i I love that you've fallen in love with the the ride of a team and in the building of a team i think that's that's a great metaphor for life in general. Absolutely. I would say it's quite, uh, quite philosophical that, about doing the right thing, um, trying to be the best that you can be, doing the work. And then to a certain extent, life is, is not really within your control, but you know you can, you can try and live a good life and purposeful and all the rest of it. And then if you're lucky, your life might be sort of half decent. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, Jeff. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna um, pick uh, pick a couple of these real quick just to finish up, and then and then we'll be done. So, um, what is something that you've learned about yourself recently? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've taken some risks professionally in the last you know year year and a half that I didn't think I would ever take, um, and so I've learned that maybe I'm a little bit braver than I thought I would, than I thought I was. I I would have never thought of myself as brave. I mean, honestly, when I think of bravery, I think of, you know, like soldiers or something crazy. I never really think of my own life as as needing bravery. Uh, But taking those risks and doing some of the things that that I've done in the last year or so professionally, um, I've learned that maybe I have a little bit more courage than I thought I did. And that's, that's been a lot of fun. That's great. All right, uh, last off the wall and, and fun question. What is your spirit animal and why? Man, I, I've always, I've always, my favorite animal's always been a penguin. They just look like they're enjoying life. They, you know, and then they just do a gut slide down into the water. That doesn't <laughs> seem so bad either. That, that kind of seems like who I really want to be. Just live my life and then occasionally slide down my stomach into the water. That's such a good answer. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that is great. All right, uh, Jeff. Just before we before we wrap up, is there uh, a place where if if anybody wants to follow you, um, learn more about BYU sports, or if if you've converted anybody in the UK to to follow <laughs> BYU, is there anywhere that they can follow you and get to know a little bit more about you and what you do? Uh, yeah, the the best place is is really just on Twitter. I I, I try to, to to put everything out there of you know, of what the websites and other things. So just find me on Twitter, or I guess X. Uh, at Rakutu10, uh, that's R-A-K-O-T-O-1-0. Uh, you can find me there, and and that's where I'm at. That's great. Thank you. Really appreciate this, Jeff. It's been it's been good to talk, and um, yeah, I've, I've learned something about American football. I think I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. I appreciate you guys. 